Thank you. I, I feel like I should take my shoes off, but it's an ugly scene trying to get them back on. But congratulations to the Catacombs for winning the uh, Founders music video. I, I won't say any more. I don't know if there was controversy. Usually there is. I won't say nothing. I, I would say maybe when I was here in the Catacombs, we would have won if uh, videos were invented by then. But um, it is a privilege for my family to be here. And uh, it's, it's amazing when you say that we've been worshiping here for how many years. And it's, uh, it's uh, wow, I'm old. <laughs> but I do remember a time uh, when my brother Danny and I were challenged when we were in middle school by our Sunday school teacher to memorize scripture. And I can remember sitting there before um, service and Danny rustling through his Bible intently, and he's looking, and he, he turns around, and he goes, I got it. And, and as a loving little brother would say, got what? And he goes, uh, my Bible verse, and I have it memorized. And he proudly stated, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. <laughs> now, I'm thinking that's genius. What came out of my mouth was, that's dumb, uh, but it really wasn't dumb. Uh, most of our guys in our youth group, were, they, that's what they used. So our teacher started to assign verses to us, and let's just say very long verses. And I hadn't really thought about that story or that passage until a couple of months ago. I was teaching through the book of John in a senior adult Sunday school class. Um, just as a side note, when I say senior adults, uh, they're everywhere from 50s through 90s. Um, my wife and I are the youngest ones in the class, if that tells you anything. Uh, I'd like to say I'm happy to have two of my octogenarians uh, here today, Dan and Sarah Bates. I refer to them as mom and dad, most likely mommy and daddy still. But uh, there's nothing more intimidating, I will say, in life than to have your parents in your Sunday school class that you teach. Um, they are great reminders that I better be walking the talk. So as I said, uh, our class is going through the book of John, verse by verse. When you, if you are familiar with John 11, it's usually titled, The Death of Lazarus. What a fitting passage for an award chapel in memory of my brother. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with our story, and, and Grant touched a little bit on it, my, when I was a senior here, three weeks before I graduated, my brother Danny was killed in a tragic accident. He was working on his Bronco, and the, the jack broke. And uh, it's just a few miles up the road here. I'd never faced such suffering before, and I never had my faith challenged at the level that it was. The sting of death was certainly felt, and not just with me, but my mom and dad, um, my brother's fiance, our friends, and certainly the Covenant community. Covenant's motto at the time was a tradition of excellence and a spirit of friendship. Uh, the spirit of friendship uh, was certainly displayed through the amazing way that God cared for me and my family through the Covenant community during our darkest hours, and it's worthy to share to the next generation. And that's why we return every year to give glory to God and to encourage you to 
persevere in those trials that you will face and to help others uh, along that journey. I see so many parallels in our experience with that of Mary and Martha in John 11. In an instant, our lives were turned upside down. We were confronted with the world's brokenness. We were overwhelmed by grief. We questioned God in our faith. But through it all, we came to have a true faith in a loving, kind God who uses trials for our good and His glory. If you're familiar with the story, Mary and Martha and Lazarus was a trio of siblings. They had a unique and personal relationship with Jesus. Lazarus becomes ill. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. They believed in Jesus and his power. Certainly Jesus will stop what he was doing and come quickly to heal him. We can relate. When we face difficulties, we cry out to the Lord. We're expecting him to hear and to respond. And so as we continue the story, we find that Jesus does hear and he does respond, but not quite the way they had hoped. Verse 4 tells us, But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How in this mess can Jesus be glorified? That's a question we find ourselves in quite often. It's a question I often ask, and maybe you do too. Verse 5 says that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved Lazarus and them so much that he waited two more days. This doesn't make sense. And we know what happens. Lazarus dies. And what were the disciples thinking during all this time? They were with Jesus. They were happy not to go to Bethany. Jewish leadership in Jerusalem wanted to kill Jesus. And Jesus and the disciples would have to pass right through there to get to Lazarus. But Jesus said something that uh, changed it. After two days, Jesus shocked them by saying, Lazarus is dead, so let's go so we can wake him up. Now you have to remember this was before phone calls and everything. Jesus, being God, knew what was happening. Then he says something very interesting in verse 15. And for your sake, disciples, I am glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Back in Bethany, Mary and Martha, they were crushed at this point. Jesus did not show up in time to spare them from the pain and suffering of losing their brother. When Jesus finally does show up, Martha runs out to meet him, or should I say to confront him. Martha goes to Jesus and says, if you had been here and you weren't, my brother would be alive. Read between the lines. They were so desperate need for help. They cried out to the Lord, trusting Him to help. He did not respond the way they expected. He was late. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. The mourners have come and all seemed hopeless. 
At Martha's confrontation, Jesus makes a profound statement. He says and declares, your brother will rise again. Martha responds, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. Like many of the Jews, she believed that there was going to be a resurrection when the Messiah returns and wakes those who are sleeping. She knows this to be true, but it was only a vague future hope. Not enough to help her grieving heart that day. Jesus challenges Martha. Don't you get it, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall be he live, and anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks the question that he asks all of us. Martha, do you believe this? And she responds, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming to the world. You know, at this port, Martha retrieves Mary. Mary runs out to Jesus. All the mourners that were around the house follow her, assuming she's going straight to the tomb. And Mary also falls down at the feet of Jesus, weeping, and says, if you were only here and you weren't, my brother would be alive. Jesus looks around, right? He sees all the wrenching grief of the family and friends, the Jewish hypocrites pretending to care, the cowardice of the disciples, Mary and Martha's shattered hope. He sees the results of sin, death, brokenness all around, surrounded by so many reminders of why he, God the Creator, had to leave heaven, set aside his glory to come to us. And he wept. But that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus stands in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he, he, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so according to the Jewish tradition, he's a, officially dead. No one could deny it. Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away from the entrance of the cave. Martha's protesting. You can see they're like, he's dead. This is going to stink. It's horrible. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. For the benefit of those around, Jesus prays. He prays out loud and gives thanks to the Heavenly Father. Then raising his voice, he yells at Lazarus, Come forth! And obediently, Lazarus comes hopping out of the grave. And what is that? It's resurrection power. Once again, Jesus shows his authority over death, and we see a foreshadowing of his own resurrection to come in a few days. So what is the application to all this with the spirit of friendship? One, God allows trials and suffering in our lives for his glory and our good. Because we live in a fallen world, life is filled with sickness and brokenness, death and pain. But we're not victims. God is sovereign and in control. We are the instruments of God's grace to show hurting world that he is all he says in his, in his word. Romans 8, 28. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Lazarus' death brought glory to Christ and strengthened the faith of Mary, Martha, and the disciples. And others came to faith through that experience. My brother's death caused me to examine my faith. I trusted the Lord through the pain. I received the comfort of his grace. I would say my head knowledge really became my heart knowledge. Two, God responds to our cries for help. But not always the way we expect. You can believe God's word that tells us he is always with us, that he hears us when we call. But his ways are not our ways. Sometimes we may feel God's timing is off and he isn't answering. But someone has told me once, God is seldom early, never late, but always on time. He loves us so much, he gives us what we need, but not always what we want. I wish the Lord had not taken my brother when he did. But through his death, we've had many opportunities to share God's faithfulness, including those through the Spirit of Friendship Award. Three, the way we respond to trials can bring God glory and point others to Christ. When we are patient in trials, when we show others that we are trusting the Lord, when we see our brothers and sisters going through trials, we can be the hands and heart of Christ by coming alongside them through prayer and acts of mercy. Four, no matter what you're facing, find your hope in this. He is the resurrection and the life. We are called to share in Christ's suffering by denying ourselves and living for him. But as we share in his suffering, we also get to share in his joy. He's making all things new. He has overcome the world. And as his children, we can find power and grace for today as we wait for his glorious return. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Papua New Guinea with a missionary friends. We were in the interior near the city of Goroka. At their base camp, or station as they called it, were a couple of homes, small church and a training facility. Alex and I made this trip to check on the station house before he relocated his family there. He also wanted me to meet the pastors that he'd been serving and for me to see firsthand what his ministry looked like. The Sissons have a passion for taking the name of Jesus to the unreached and hard-to-reach people groups of Papua New Guinea. They do this by training indigenous pastors and going to the interiors of the jungles to contact the most remote people groups. Their goal is to earn the right to be heard as they can share the gospel with them. One thing to note that there's over 850 different languages that are actively spoken in Papua New Guinea, and I say probably thousands of different dialects. A common trained language is called Tokpisin. Um, most individuals know their heart language, and they communicate together through this trade language, Tokpisin. On the trip, I was reminded that there's another universal language 
that crosses all cultures, life experience, economic status. Grief. When our plane landed in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, Papa Station, who was the full-time indigenous resident there, who was the caretaker of the camp, met us at the airstrip. After common greetings and hugs, Alex and Papa, their conversation turned solemn. Papa shared with Alex some of the tragic news that one of, about one of the regional pastors there. While the pastor and his children were out in the jungles gathering wood, a strong storm blew up, and a tree came crashing down, killing two of his children, a son and a daughter. As we made our way to the station, Alex expressed his need to comfort and encourage the pastor and his family. We agreed we would go the next day. I'm not sure how word got about but when we would make the trip, but several other pastors and their wives showed up. There were probably about 30 of us in that little Land Rover. But what would have taken about 30 minutes here in the town took us several hours because of the treacherous journey. Just like in the States, the wives had gathered food for us to take, but instead of casseroles, desserts, and fruit salads, there were bags of rice and sugar, salt, and coffee, stocks of bananas. Like I said, about a dozen of us piled in. I must say, for a six foot three, 300 pound white guy, they were pretty curious about me as I was them. Although I couldn't understand a single word they were saying, Alex would tell me that they were talking about me. They were a fun group. They were laughing and carrying on. You could quickly tell who was the jokesters and who was serious. As we approached the pastor's village, a somber spirit fell to the group. As we exited the vehicle, I could hear the women singing. I couldn't understand the words, but I could hear and tell that it was a lament. The elders greeted us by the road and escorted us into the village center. As we got closer and the songs began to get louder, the women who were with our group began to sing too and join in. As the singing continued, we could hear screams coming from the jungle. Little by little, they came closer, becoming louder and more pronounced. Finally, another group of women entered a clearing. And in the center of this group were two young people. They were wearing rags and covered with mud. The two young ones were the ones screaming and moaning. The women around them kept singing. As they arrived in the village, they joined in with that of the other women, and everybody began singing the same song. But in the midst of this circle, these two kids were rolling around in the dust and the mud. Alex explained to me that this was the way how they showed respect and empathy to a grieving family, recognizing their loss, their hopelessness, their helplessness. But as we watched this scene unfold, a beautiful thing happened. The mother of the deceased children, who's a believer, who was sitting in the middle of this group of women singing, did something quite unordinary. She got up and she walked over to the two young people and gently helped them up to their feet. 
She took her apron and she wiped it with her tears and started wiping the face of these two kids. Then all of a sudden, the grandmother got up and she too was taking her tears and wiping the apron and wiping the faces of these kids. And then all the other women began to assist. What were these women silently proclaiming in the midst of their suffering? That we do not mourn like those with no hope. What a beautiful display of the power of the resurrection. We share in the sufferings of Christ and of each other, and we help each other up, and we wipe away the tears and clean ourselves up all along living in the light of the resurrection and pointing people to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Finally, let's go back to the book of John for a moment. What do you think Mary and Martha did next? Well, in chapter 12, we see Jesus sharing a meal with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, in the home in Bethany. Can you imagine the love, the joy, the celebration in that place? Lazarus was dead, now he's alive. Mary, filled with gratitude, anoints Jesus' feet with costly perfume and wipes them with her hair. What a picture for all of us today. All of those who have gone before us at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we were set with Jesus, full of joy and gratitude, with all he said and what he's done with those who have, we've loved and gone before us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And anyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious and mighty God. You are the resurrection and the life. You are our hope. And Lord, I thank you that you have displayed your, your grace, your kindness, your mercy in the, in the midst of tragedy. You are good and you are faithful. I thank you for the love you poured out of us through this community. We pray your hand and blessing be upon Covenant College that we would bring you great glory in our lives that we have for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. Matthew 5, 16 states, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The Spirit of Friendship Award is not an award to boast one's self-esteem or an attempt to put man on a pedestal. It is an award to let one know that he or she is recognized as a reflection of light, light that is fueled by God alone. This award is a tribute to our heritage of Christian community, a family of believers joined together by the adoption by our Heavenly Father. The Spirit of Friendship Award was founded through the sting of death but it is an award that celebrates the victory of Christ over death. When my uncle Danny was killed on this mountain three weeks before my dad's graduation, 
John was ushered to the throne of mercy by people who put their faith into practice. They showed him compassion when he was hurting. His friends were strong when he was weak. They were peace and comfort in the midst of his storm. They were his friends and they showed him love. The Spirit of Friendship Award is a way for our family to say thank you to a group of people who have moved on from covenant and to recognize that, that same love still exists here in this place. This love is manifested through individuals who set themselves apart even on this campus. This award goes to a person who best demonstrates the essence of what it means to be a light in this world, who reflects Christ's love by meeting the needs of those around them, a true friend. We recognize him or her through the Spirit of Friendship Award, which is funded by the Danny Leslie Bates Memorial Scholarship Fund. Over the years, our family, friends, and covenant alumni have contributed to this endowment. So on behalf of my family and in memory of my uncle, Danny Leslie Bates, I am honored to present this year's Spirit of Friendship Award to Kaysen Bailey. Do, do you all know him? <laughs> I, I know it's weird for me to give him flowers, but I didn't think their parents would. They didn't hesitate getting up here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get emotional. This is the highlight of one of the things we do here. But now it's time for you to do your speech, and we look forward to hearing your words of. <laughs> yeah? No, I'm just saying. Okay. You can give those to me. <laughs> No. no, I just want to say, like I said, this is great joy to see the love and affection that you all still pour out to other students here. Uh, three weeks wasn't enough for me to say thank you in the way that over the years I've just more gratitude of what was displayed by God's faithfulness through a community that I think is very unique for Covenant College. You can't capture this, you live it. And so I don't get to say thank you to the ones that were actually in these seats when all this happened. But you all are my representatives, and Kaysen is just one of many who has lived life worthy in the reflection of God's love. And I want to say, keep doing it. The world needs a light, and it's a reflection of Christ in this dark, broken world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> 